Hi, I'm Vishnu Srinivas, and welcome to Hawkeye, a podcast featuring prominent business professionals and their views on topics impacting businesses and economies around the world. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Joining me today is Logan Motashmi. He is the lead analyst for Housing Wire. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It is uh, my pleasure to be here. So would you like to give a short uh, introduction about your background uh, and your career? Uh, currently, I'm the lead analyst uh, for Housing Wire. I have been a financial blogger for 11 years. Uh, I've been working in the mortgage industry for over 24 years. I retired from that in 2020. Our family has been in banking since the late 1950s. So a lot of my economic uh, takes over the years have also been benefited through having a financial residential lending background and kind of my way of looking at credit profile risk over the years. And I think both those two uh, together have helped me talk about the housing market in a way that's a little bit different than maybe some of my uh, colleagues in the industry. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm curious to get uh, a lot of your insights on, you know, the current news surrounding the housing market. So where I'd like to start is, you know, in the previous few weeks, we've seen this fascinating phenomenon where, you know, despite housing rates on a historic rise, we've also, it's also been met with strong mortgage demand as well. So do you see a net positive takeaway from this? Or do you think that we should be somewhat bearish, uh, see it somewhat as fool's gold, I guess? Well, one of the things I've talked about in uh, housing economics is that years 2020 to 2024 was going to be very different than what we saw in the previous expansion from 2008 to 2019. Uh, housing demand was going to be a little bit better just because demographics were going to be better during this period. What's happened this year is that uh, after the big home price gains we saw in 2020, 2021, and in 2022, uh, today we saw median home prices for the existing home sales up almost 15% year over year. Once mortgage rates started to rise, you start to see the impact it has on demand. And that's traditionally the case uh, going back you know, 11, 12 years. Whenever mortgage rates get to four to 5%, uh, the rate of growth of housing tends to cool down on the purchase application data. So when we look at purchase application data, I always say you, want to keep an eye on it on the second week of January to the first week of May on a year over year basis, you know, so there's some weeks that we've had recently where purchase application data was up uh, week to week, 5%, 4%. So people get confused. But if you look at the uh, year over year data, uh, it's been negative all year. And I like to use the four week moving average. So I had anticipated uh, demand to be hit about 18 to 22% on a year-over-year -year average on purchase applications. And so far, it's about uh, almost 13%. So it's done better than I've thought. And we've had a few weeks uh, uh, this year where it's been positive on a week-to-week -week, week -week basis. But we definitely do see a slowdown in demand. And we're definitely seeing existing home sales rate of growth fall and it, just like the past two times when mortgage rates rose in 2013-14 and the 2018-19 period, uh, sales will be declining this year. The question always is, does this create enough supply to cool down housing enough for it to be a beneficial uh, factor for the housing market? Yeah. And going back to that week-to-week -week analysis point you brought up, you know, there's a lot of doomsayers, I think, that are pointing to that latest drop in mortgage applications this past week and saying that you know, waiting to proclaim that, you know, the bubble will pop. Do you think this is kind of overblown? 
and you know week to week analysis is just like too fluid to make a real yeah the the housing but yeah the housing bubble boys have been here since 2012 and just basically said the same thing over and over again um the i i don't tend to follow the week to week too much because sometimes you uh, you get a kind of a widespread uh, uh, on a positive number and a negative number the year over year data uh, is more fluid. But traditionally speaking, when you have real housing weakness, you see purchase application data decline year over year for a few years, uh, just like we saw in uh, 2005. In 2005, housing peaked, uh, sales fell in 2005, six, seven, eight. Then the job loss recession happened, uh, and we saw multiple years of, of declining purchase application data. We're only going to be really having our first authentic decline year this year. The last time that happened was in 2014, and 2014 purchase application data was down 20% year over year. It didn't cause a crash, but it does definitely uh, create more days on the market, which I think would be healthy at this point, and it definitely uh, sales do fall. So those are the things that traditionally happen when mortgage rates rise. And it's something I even talked about in uh, the uh, later part of 2020, like the one thing that can cool down housing, if mortgage rates uh, uh, trend between four to 5% off, of course, right now it's a little bit uh, above 5%. This to me is actually a positive because the home price growth that we've seen since 2020, which has always been my main concern because of the inventory channels, it's gone too extreme. And the only thing that could cool down housing at this point, uh, uh, we can't build enough homes uh, fast enough it's higher mortgage rates and hopefully it does what I think it will do, create more days on the market, give people more choices and the growth rate of pricing falls. Right, and you know, you brought up like some differences that we see from the current scenario in like 2005. And I guess, does that lead you to believe that like the comparisons that people draw to the bubble of the 2000s are in bounds or like out of bounds? Yeah, they, I mean, I cannot express how different the housing market is now compared to what we saw uh, back then. And, and people like to say it's, oh, it's 2008 all over again. It, that's actually not true. 2005 was the housing peak. There was a massive credit boom from 2002 to 2005. And home sales were actually stronger back then. Credit expansion was much stronger. Uh, we're not even at 2002 levels currently on the purchase application index just because well, we can't resent, we can't, um, we can't repeat the credit boom that we saw back in uh, 2002 to 2005 because we have no exotic loan debt structures. So the quality of debt that was happening during that period of time was very bad. Uh, and, and I always say the biggest difference between now and back then is when housing peaked in 2005, credit started to get really weak. Uh, um, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2008, people were filing for foreclosures bankruptcy, supply was rising, sales were falling. And then the job loss recession happened in 2008. So it took four years to get to that point. Uh, here, uh, credit stress is not even showing up. The homeowner in America is, has never looked better on paper. And I always try to stress to people, they have a fixed debt cost all these years and they have rising wages. There's no exotic loan debt in the system, so there's no recast rate risk anymore. So the on, on paper, the balance sheets look great, and people stay in their homes much longer now than they did in the past. From 1985 to 2007, the housing tenure was about five to seven years. 
from 2008 to 2022, depending on who you listen to, it's 11, 12, uh, some have average on 14 years. So people have stayed in their homes for longer. They've refinanced a few times. They're in a really good shape. So you can't get two different cycles uh, to look so different than you do from the 2002 to 2008 period, from the kind of the 2012 to 2022 period. And that's why you can't have a bubble because a bubble to me is, Prices are so disconnected from reality that they have to go back to the price, the start of the bubble. And the housing bubble voice started in 2012. So that's a long price decline that would have to happen to get back to 2012 levels. I, it's, it's just not in the work. The homeowner themselves are in really good shape. But over 40% of homes in America don't even have a mortgage. So uh, it's a much different backdrop than, than we had uh, back then. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think, though, that, you know, recession fears might be weighing on some people right now due to like all the talk about it in the media. I guess, do you get the sense that recessionary fears are playing a role in like participants in the housing market? Well, for just for myself, four, four of my six recession red flags are up. But in general, millions and millions of people buy homes a year. And uh, it doesn't really matter too much what's going on in the economy. And I'll give you a great example. When COVID happened, the whole world paused, right? We paused as a country for about six weeks because we didn't know what was going to go on. Literally right after six weeks, people went back to buying homes. That was probably the most uh, chaotic period of time in history. And in theory, people said, well, I'm not going to buy a home currently because we're going we're to be in a depression and who knows. Uh, people need shelter every year. It's actually really rare in America post-1996 to have home sales under $4 million, uh, uh, for a month. So uh, it's the payment level that matters the most. So what happened is mortgage rates dropped. Uh, uh, the payment level looked really good for a lot of people. So they bought homes. Uh, and the recession fears might maybe uh, hold a few people back, but I've never seen any evidence that there's millions of people sitting there waiting for the recession to happen or, or afraid people people need shelter and one of the um, bad parts about this housing shelter inflation that we see is rent inflation has gone up so much uh, over the last uh, uh, 18 months that people just want the security of a fixed payment uh, and I think the natural uh, evolution of every year, millions and millions of people buy homes. doesn't matter. Even, even in 2008, uh, uh, when the housing was crashing, millions of people bought homes. It's really a demographic affordability story more than market timing. And that's generally what we've seen uh, with housing data over the last uh, two decades. Uh, of course, when you lose your job or you're afraid to lose your job, most likely you're not going to buy a house because you can't even qualify for a house. But now, traditionally speaking, uh, home sales are still trending higher than they were from the previous expansion, just because the biggest housing demographic patch right now ever in history are ages 28 to 34. They're here, the millennials, and you know they're buying homes of the biggest home buyers in America right now. So in, in that context, uh, people just buy a payment, and that's why we still have, we're probably going to have near uh, 6 million total home sales existing in new, homes, new home sales combined again this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we talk about like housing statistics and housing data, it seems like there's like 
a metric for anything to like capture any kind of quantifiable data. And I'm just curious, do you feel like there are certain housing statistics or metrics that you see being like, I guess, loosely thrown out that might be lacking in context or may not be as relevant to the discussions that we have? Yeah, uh, the new home sales market is much different than the existing home sales market just because it's a smaller marketplace. And the monthly supply for new homes is running at 6.4 months uh, right now currently. And I think the problem I've seen over the years is that people go type in into the Fred data and they write monthly supply and they get the new home sales market and they don't know it's the new home sales market. So they see the 6.4 month supply. They're like, hey, wait a second. There's no housing shortage. The 6.4 months of supply. That's not that's that they have to type in the existing uh, monthly sales. That's the massive marketplace out there. And currently right now we're at 2.2 months. So we have a very big difference between 6.4 months in the new home sales market than 2.2 months in the uh, existing uh, home sales market in terms of monthly supply. And that even to this day gets uh, people confused more than more than anything because they see that data line and they think, oh, there's plenty of inventory to buy. The inventory shortage is not true. So you really have to look at total inventory. And currently right now, total inventory is a little bit above a million right now. Traditionally speaking, in a normal market, we're between 1.5 to 2 million. Uh, so we're far from that. And this is part of the reason why we've seen prices accelerate. Uh, total inventory is just simply too low. So you want to focus on the existing home sales market, not the new home sales market. People get confused about that all the time. Yeah, good observation. And I guess it's kind of like time to address the elephant in the room, which is the inflation issue that has been seemingly dragging on forever. And it looks as though the Fed, in order to combat it, is going to hike interest rates yet again. I guess, big picture, how do you see this uh, affecting the housing market in the near future? Well, I think the market has priced in a lot of the Fed rate hikes on the long end. Mm -hmm. The 10-year yield has made a very aggressive move higher. <clears throat> and what happened is the two-year yield has also made a very aggressive move higher. And the Fed funds rate has to play catch-up now. Um, so the, the rate hikes are kind of already priced in on the mortgage uh, side of it. So we've seen this really big increase in mortgage rates from 3% to 5.5% in a very short time. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Reserve has to follow through with their rate hikes. And what happens is that the rate hikes, a lot of people will look at that as recessionary. So the bond market has actually been falling the last uh, uh, a few weeks. So even though the Fed hasn't caught up to the uh, market pricing of their of all their rate hikes, the bond market is starting to uh, head a little bit lower in anticipation of a possible recession, which makes sense. Uh, the, the long end of the bond market mortgage rates got a way ahead of the federal funds rate. And it's so different than, let's say, the 2018 period where the Fed funds rate rise, the two-year yield rise, and the 10-year yield, they kind of all move together. Much different story this time. The long end of the market actually got way ahead of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has to come through and see if they can even uh, uh, raise rates enough to match that. And that's the that's the tug of war that I think we're all dealing with in economic land. Can the economy stay firm enough for the Fed to raise rates or will the Fed blink once they see the labor market get softer and once they see economic data get softer? Uh, and that's why I think the bond market is retraced back 
in, in the last few weeks. Uh, uh, they're kind of anticipating that economic data is going to get weaker. The growth rate of inflation is going to start to fall. We see this trucking data, uh, some of the retail sales, the durable good explosion in spending that we saw during COVID is starting to uh, uh, break off. And when, when I speak at conferences, I always tell people, think of the economy like Peloton. Peloton had a booming demand. Uh, they had all these bikes they were building for, and then their demand just collapsed. They have all this inventory, they have to fire people. Of course, Peloton's a small company versus the US economy. But right now, that's where the durable goods uh, weakness, we're gonna see that as service spending picks up, durable goods spending comes down. Those companies are definitely at risk. And we've seen a few other companies mention, you know what, they probably have uh, way too many people hired because the spending for their some of their uh, durable goods is, is, is not going to be there. And that'll correct itself over time. Definitely. It does seem uh, important to notice like which kind of factors are already baked in or to like people's perceptions, I guess. And last question I have for you, you know, We've been seeing this precarious phenomenon recently of, you know, low housing supply and rising home prices. And it's really boils to the extent that we're seeing frequent bidding wars over homes. Do you have a policy solution in mind for this to solve this? Well, my concern always has been that if you look at total inventory data in America from 2014, it's been slowly falling every year. And the one other data line that's been rising uh, since 2014 is purchase application data has been rising. So here comes 2020 to 2020, where you have the biggest housing demographic patch ever. So if sales do pick up beyond the trend in the previous expansion, inventory can collapse. Mm -hmm. People are just staying in their homes longer. We have a lot of people who owns a rental homes, the, the investor market, the mom and pops. They have a lot of uh, renters that, they, that you know, feed their retirement or income stream. We don't have enough homes to cool down inflation. Uh, so we have to either force rates to go high enough to create inventory to rise. In. And I say this is that post 1996, the only time inventory increases in America is when we have demand weakness or forced credit selling, forced credit sellings or foreclosures and uh, short sales through bankruptcies. Uh, and that only happened from 2006 to 2011. 2014's uh, sales sales fell, uh, in, total inventory grew a little bit, but really without weakness in demand, people just stay in their homes longer. So you have to actually build beyond what the builders want to do because the builders are here for a business. They have a business model. They're never gonna oversupply a market. So keep people keep on saying that, Oh, well, there's three to four million homes behind, so they have to build. No, they're not. As soon as rates rise, they're going to pull back. Not only are they pulling back, they have all this money that they've made through the last few years. They're, they're buying uh, their stock back. They're not putting it into production. Uh, construction productivity has been terrible for six decades. So we have to find a system to where when demand gets weaker, the builders keep on building. Uh, so the policy would be basically to pay the builders to build through uh, any kind of weakness. So there's no slowdown in construction. Uh, and I, I don't believe the government is set up to do that, but that's kind of the mindset I've always had is that when rates rise, the builders cool down. We saw this in 2018 when uh, people say, oh, we're undersupplied. Mortgage rates went to 5%. The builder stocks were down 30%. They go, oh, this is terrible. We're not, we're slowing down. It paused construction for about 30 months. Uh, so you have to find a policy to where 
you just build, 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 and forget about pricing. And the problem is that everyone wants their home prices to go up higher. And we have an economic system that is, you know, whenever things get bad, rates go lower. And that feeds into the home price growth that we've seen. So it's kind of what I call the housing dilemma. You know, on one hand, you have uh, the, the housing market is the economy and household formation and big ticket items. So you want that to continue. But yet the only time inventory really grows post 1996 is when demand gets weaker and inventory goes up and then people talk about a recession. So you have to find a way to build through it and build for deflationary purposes, not for uh, everyone has their net worth in housing and we can't ever touch that. And it's just a very complicated problem uh, that's going to take unique answers. But I just don't think the government's going to do that. And I don't think the builders are going to oversupply. So we're stuck. And being stuck has been the problem with the housing market uh, because rates are low, people are doing well, the homeowners in America is doing well. So uh, to build beyond uh, the, the need of demand is something that the government could step in and just say, hey, listen, you're, don't worry, you're not going to lose money. We'll cover the cost and the builders keep building. Outside of that, it's a very complicated problem uh, because people think zoning will solve a lot of the issues. No, somebody who's building something has to get paid uh, or unless the government does it for free. So uh, it, that that's the unique uh, difficulty right now. Uh, and we live in a system to where the whole economy is based on home prices rising, not falling. Absolutely, I think it's, it's important to kind of think outside of the simplistic confines of our economic system. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with Shane Logan. I really appreciate it. Make sure I'll check out uh, his work on